When Elizabeth Pryor was a first-year history professor at Smith College, an incident occurred in her classroom that shaped the course of her career. While she was teaching about the Civil War, a well-meaning white student interrupted her lecture to recite a quote from Blazing Saddles, a movie that was co-written by Elizabeth's father, famed comedian Richard Pryor. I was making a point in the lecture about citizenship, and she repeated a line from the film that used a disparaging word for people of Chinese descent and the N-word. And she said, we don't want the CHs and the N-words, but we will take the Irish. But she said all the words. And I, try, I tried to stop her. I was like, wait, 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 wait. And she said, oh, no, it's a joke from Blazing Saddles. And then she repeated it. And it was the end of class, and I went home, and I came back to class the next session, and I told everybody, we're not going to use the N-word, we're not going to say the N-word, the actual N-word, we're not going to talk about it. And, and I just felt totally empty because I'd basically censored the word in my class, and I hadn't right. taken the opportunity to really teach the students why that moment was so significant. Like, why was it important that somebody said the N-word in the class? And I, I didn't kind of, I didn't give them anything. I just, I just stopped it. After the incident, Pryor set out to develop a strategy for navigating racist language in her classroom. She began by asking herself, what does the N-word even mean? And while her research centered on this simple question, she ultimately found something far more complicated. I love doing these, like, digital newspaper searches online. And so the first thing that struck me was that every time I saw the N-word in print, the actual N-word, it was in quotation marks. I thought it was going to come across like just white people using it in common parlance. But in fact, the only time they really used it up until the 1820s in the newspapers was when they were quoting fictional black people. So mm. like they'd write these faux letters to the editor like, you know, dear massa printer, you know, like these kind of anti-black kind of diatribes where they'd imagine the black person writing these letters to the newspaper. And in all of those, they had figures who called themselves a poor N-word, using, of course, the actual word. And then right. increasingly, like at the rise of the minstrel show in the 1820s and 30s, it was in the title of the shows. It was imagined as the words of black people speaking in anti-black art. It was coming out of the mouths of black people. That really struck me. I felt like there was some kind of meaning in that, and I wanted to find out more. So to your reading, you found it being used by whites imagining how black people were speaking or speaking to each other. That's right, but I also started thinking about when whites are quoting black dialect, whether or not black people actually spoke that way or not, right? So right. I started to wonder, could this have been a black word? And I started to look into black sources to try to, and there aren't a ton, but to try to find if there was evidence. My, my greatest example of this comes from the 1930s WPA ex-slave interviews with formerly enslaved people. And these are people who are, you know, 60 years, 70 years away from enslavement. And they are still using the N-word in incredibly nuanced ways to describe themselves and other people. It does not always mean the same thing. Sometimes it's obs obsequious in the way that you would expect perhaps it to be. But other times mm -hmm. it 
speaks to pride, lament, spirit. Um, the best example of this comes from a gentleman in the Virginia narratives, and he's telling this horrible story about uh, what he witnessed as a child, the violence against another enslaved grown-up. And the guy was trying to protect his wife, and the overseer was coming after his wife. And he's the whole time he's telling the story, he's calling the guy a colored man, right? He's like, the mm-hmm. colored man was doing this, the colored man was doing this. And then finally, the colored man stood up to the overseer, and the overseer shot him dead. And at this moment, the storyteller says, N-words don't get no breaks. And it was se- huh. seemed like a real pointed turn there. Um, right, of using right. the word. And so I I kind of, and I felt like I could really hear that nuance and that history throughout my reading of people speaking and saying the N-word. So this is a case of there not just being a kind of appropriation from white stereotypes of black speakers, but that African Americans have a, a, a long oral tradition that recognizes multiple meanings and uses of a term that might appear the same way in print on its face. Exactly. And I think the reason why it's important to make that distinction is because in one version, basically, you're saying that, you know, black people in the late 20th and early 21st century are defining themselves against white racism. And in another version, if you look, you can say there's a long, long history of kind of this linguistic, this discursive subversion that black people employed way back to the 1770s and 1780s to use this word mm. to start identifying themselves as sort of an in-group that it ha- they imbued it with meaning. So if anybody did the reappropriating, I think, it's the white people who saw that this was a word that had meaning and texture for black people, right? And that, that threatened that became a big source of the threat. And that's when the word kind of turns into something violent against them. And in fact, a lot of times my students will say, yes, I know what the N-word means. It comes from slavery. And part of the mm. argument that I, that I make is, yes, this is a word that was probably Latin roots. It was applied to people who were um, involuntary laborers. They were in service in perpetuity. They were black. But it was a real labor category. People occupied that labor category. It wasn't something you'd want to be, but it wasn't a slur. The word really emerges as a slur as black people start to become free. This is when the word is used against people who are no longer occupying that actual existing labor category. And that's when the word takes on the meaning that we start to recognize and know it as today. So give us an example of how black laborers in these earlier uses would draw out the N-word as a way to convey a shared social identity. So there is some of this work that's speculative, but I still believe it. And um, mm. and part of the way, part of the sources I use, um, my favorite sources, come from black authors writing during the period. And they're still writing in a type of dialect. But one of my favorite examples comes from Harriet Wilson, who was a free woman, uh, sensibly a free woman. She was really an indentured servant in the North and wrote a book called Our N-Word, 
She wrote this book about being an indentured servant to a white family in the North. But at the beginning of it, um, she's she's in a biracial person, and uh, her father was black, and her mother was a, a white woman who had hit really hard times. And she imagines a conversation that her father, who was a craftsman, was having in his shop to himself when his buddy, also black, walks in on him. And so she imagines her father, who's sitting there, you know, hooping a barrel, and he's talking about wanting to marry Mag Smith. So he's like, I'm, you know, mumbling to himself about this. And his friend Pete walks in and he says, "Uh, who are you going to marry? Mag Smith? And the father says back, what's up, N-word? Why are you walking up on me like that? And he's, and then the mm. friend says something back, and he said, next time you walk in without you know, permission, let an N-word know it. So in that case, you know, she's imagining black people in the North. Now, one is black people in the South, one is black people in the North, you know, talking to each other, workers, communicating to each other in this casual way. It's not offensive. Um, it's in one instance, it's playful. In one ins- instance, it's chastising, but using it among each other freely. So that's where the evidence comes from. Right. And I'm, I'm guessing you also have moments where you see then a spike in negative uses, largely from white intellectuals or groups. I mean, how do you track when you have a struggle over the meaning of this word where whites are involved? Right. Well, I mean... Basically, as soon as black people start becoming free, the word changes in tone and tenor. And what's interesting about it is that this becomes a really tricky moment for black abolitionists, black people who are rising out of this working class. They don't want to be associated with the word. Um, The first run of Freedom's Journal which is the first African-American newspaper from 1827 to 1829, does not use the word. They complain about racism a ton, right? And they talk about being called terrible things, but they don't use the word to say it. It does appear in Colored American, which is the next black newspaper, which runs from like 1837 to 1839 or so. And they, they talk about being called and accused and kind of blamed through this language. Um, But it really becomes like the international black abolitionists like Frederick Douglass who really start to give the white use gravitas. And I think just like it's whites in blackface who are the first to use the N-word against uh, black people, it's black people in a kind of white face. And I didn't come up with this term, but a kind of white face that Mm. they are also only quoting these abolitionists are only quoting the N-word as white speech. So they're saying, so they're saying, here's here's these examples. This is how white people talk to us. And Frederick Douglass writes a letter to William Lloyd Garrison, the abolitionist editor of The Liberator, from Ireland when he's abroad, and he uses the phrase we don't allow N-words in here nine times to describe the kinds of experiences um, he had trying to cross the thresholds of public space and public transportation in the antebellum north. We don't allow N-words in here. And Mm -hmm. that from all kinds of white people, he's hearing that. So I think in some ways, it's the black abolitionists who make everybody aware that this that the n-word is being used in this violent kind of way and they also for the most part push down the black use 
So I have this notion that I've certainly seen in crowded conversations about the N-word or thinking about history, there's a certain kind of unease. Or when, again, you're reading in a class, you know, primary documents where the word kind of jumps off the page and how students respond to it, right? Mm -hmm. And and my sense, at least, is that, you know, the the N-word is the only word in American English that can so violently and dramatically collapse the past and the present. Mm -hmm. And that's really the principal reason why it is so destabilizing Mm -hmm. to the ear for so many people, Mm -hmm. right? That that there's a way in which we've comforted ourselves with a certain distance from the 19th century or the Jim Crow period, Mm -hmm. and yet that word Mm -hmm. immediately, you know, causes us to conjure images of the water hose Mm -hmm. and the lynching tree and the dogs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, therefore, it it best not be uttered because we can't handle that kind of violent return Mm -hmm. to the past. And and I'm curious to get get your sense Mm -hmm. of that and of its power in that way. Well, you're 100% right. I mean, it okay. is in the dusty pages of books. It's in it's in this past space that you're talking about, but when it finds its way in full into the classroom, it is in real space, in real time doing right. work, right. real work. Any any teacher who thinks that's not true, any teacher who's teaching Huck Finn this week <laughs> to their students and thinks it is right. not true, that by by that word entering their classroom, that the tenor of the classroom has changed, is absolutely mm-hmm. mistaken. I have a student who wrote a blog post for me. I taught a course last semester, History of the N-Word. And the <laughs> one of my students wrote this beautiful, beautiful story about how they had a teacher who taught To Kill a Mockingbird, and they did the read aloud. And the teacher insisted that everybody in the class say the word in full. This was a teacher who believed that it was part of the fight against its Mm. violence to repeat it in the classroom space, that Harper Lee had wanted it that way and that it was powerful to do it. And the way that the student would respond was that they would count the paragraphs. Everybody read a paragraph. So they would count the number of paragraphs in the book, and they would count when it was their turn. And if their turn coincided with a paragraph with the N-word, they would get up and go to the bathroom and just walk out of the room. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, so, and I have heard from students over and over and over again. I mean, this is really why the work became exciting for me, because I thought that what I was going to do when I started having these conversations with students, that they were going to kind of like have this very intellectual freedom of speech debate with me about whether or not you say it or don't say it or whatever, and some have. But most of them, like, immediately started confessing. That Mm. happened to me. I was in a class when that happened. I didn't know what to do when it was said in this way. I People tell me to shh, but nobody told me what it meant. You know, on and on and on. And I was like, there's really a story here. And it's like the N-word is sort of like a map into each of our individual racial mm-hmm. histories. So, I, you know, I often say that it, 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 it signposts a national trauma, but it's also signposts a personal trauma for a lot of people. A lot of people remember their first interactions with this word, not just black people. Well, keeping with the personal, I mean, you, your your father was one who tried to, again, bring to the public conversation all the ranges in which black folks were using this word in private spaces, on street corners and the like. And yet, you know, quite famously, Richard Pryor also had a conversion experience on this very term after taking a trip to Kenya. Tell me about that. Yeah, I I, I love this. Um, <laughs> so in 1974, my, my dad releases 
the album That N-Word's Crazy, mm-hmm. okay? It is such a beautiful kind of description of what an N-Word is, N- like nothing like what white people were saying N-Words were. And then four or five years later, my father goes on this trip, and he has really like an incredible epiphany He tells it beautifully on stage in Live on the Sunset Strip, and he also does an interview in Ebony in 80 um, with Lerone Bennett Jr. And Mm. he he also pulled me aside when I was, you know, 11 or 12 when he came back from this trip, and he told me he was never going to say the word again. But I love what he says. He says, all of a sudden, he was sitting in the lobby of the Nairobi Hilton, and he looks around, and a little voice says to him, look around, what do you see? And he says, I see all kinds of black people doing all kinds of things. And the voice says, do you see any N-words? And then my dad says, no. And he said, that's because there aren't any. And when he, you know, talks about this, he says, I was wrong, I was wrong. I think that's so beautiful. I love a couple of things my dad does in this. One is, unlike a lot of people who get into this polemical debate about who should or shouldn't say the N-word, my dad's like, do what you want to do. But this is what right. this is this is my truth. I don't want to do this anymore. This this is what's true for me. And he also says, mm. and a note to the hip white people who want to come up and use this word with me, please don't, because I don't like it. That's what he says. And I just, I think those right. are really two very important points. I mean, this is like really this kind of homecoming experience from this perspective, this kind of diasporic experience. He's standing in Africa when he has this epiphany. It's very powerful. Elizabeth Pryor is a professor of history at Smith College. She's the author of The Etymology of the N Word. Resistance, Language, and the Politics of Freedom in the Antebellum North. 